Hey, uh, well, first of all, I like to say, and I hate speaking of find me, because I want to be a part of this fucking jump wannabe tennis tour. You know, I think they got their his testicles so far up their mouths that this is bullshit, you know? I'm not thinking about that right now. I'm just thinking about having won the world title and, and hopefully trying to win another one someday. You just drop in and just smack the pull back, drop down, say, bah! Well, I'll tell you, Stu, I did battle some humongous waves. Oh, that looks good, Alvin. Not bad. Ain't that swell with Jed and Vaughn. Oh, those guys are back. Get a haircut. Yeah, shredheads, waxheads, kooks and barnies, swamis, shamans, healers and dealers. Welcome to the inaugural Swellness Summit. Jody Cooper, the battler from Albany, worked in a cement cannery before she set off east. With wild dreams of becoming a professional surfer and a pro surfer, she became par excellence, the most winningest female pro of all time at sunset. Or is that uh, both both genders? Did you? I wouldn't have a clue. Has anyone got? I'm not good anyone, at statistics. You've won. You've won five sunset pros. I can't remember. Oh, fair. Enough. <laughs> <laughs> There's Amazing. a couple. Definitely a couple. Australian Surfing Hall of Famer and uh, one of the most resilient people I've ever met. A fucking core salt-of-the-earth battler. Well, thank you. I'll take that as a compliment. And I just want to say um, how incredible this event has been and how awesome it's been to meet all of you guys and party and have a great time and learn something. It's It's been so much fun and I hope we've got more fun to come tonight. I'm sure we do. Oh, hey. mate, we have some fun coming tonight. Uh, our next guest, let's get her up here, Pauline Mensah, Scum Valley's finest herself, my hometown hero, the 93 world champ, and a, another star of the epic, epic documentary, Girls Can't Surf. You'll see both these ladies in it. What a film it is, what a story it is, what an icon she is. Fucking that frothing to have her here. Yes, Pauline. How are you going? Freaking awesome, mate. <laughs> has the uh, has the mycelium worn off yet, or <laughs> which one? That's right. There's thousands of those little fungal molecules <laughs> kicking around your system. Um, how's the Wim Hof? The group Wim Hof. I know you. We, we you were actually next to me when we did it yesterday. It was powerful, wasn't it? Yeah, it was awesome. I had like just so many different sensations. Like he was saying about seeing colours and. Um, even doing the deep breathing and then holding the breath and it was absolutely pissing down rain. It was just something really magical about it. And um, even a couple of times I was watching you doing your deep breathing and I kid you not, you look like a little happy Smurf. You just were <laughs> just having this big smile on your face. So, yeah, it was um, – no, it was really nice and it was nice to feel that, like Jody said – you know, what you talked about in the last podcast and that sense of community and really felt that here yesterday. And um, I'm kind of glad that it ended up being a bit smaller turnout with not, you know, the diehards didn't make it because they can't handle a bit of rain. But um, <laughs> the crew that did, it's just been really nice that it's a bit a bit smaller event. Can we just check in on you guys post Girls Can't Surf and just sort of the impact that that film, it just resonated globally. Uh, what sort of effect did it have on your lives? Because it really did shine a light on how tough you guys did it, the battles that you had to face, the mountains you had to climb. Uh, you know, like Smithy said, you know, you, you you pave the way for what women have today, which is fucking just common sense to be on the same footing. But the fact that there was just that entire era where it was just so unbalanced. So how has it been, you know, since then? Because... You both um, really live lives where there was just not a lot of recognition or acknowledgement of your contribution and now that has been rectified. It's been good because I've got a couple of free rip, rip curl wetsuits out oh, of it. So that's Finally! That's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's all good. But, you know, what I've, what I've loved about it is, um, uh, you know, the, all facets of life have really enjoyed that movie and, you know, um, the fact that that, They've taken a bunch of, you know, personal photos and old footage and all. It's like a Frankenstein movie. Like they've, 
you know, cut off a head and stuck it on the leg and got the leg and put it on the head. And they've created a freaking magical, a magical film. And um, I've really enjoyed, like, people come up to me now um, who never know my career or but now they know me through the film and they just want to go, wow, that film was so good. I learned something from it myself. Um, you know, it was such a great story. And sure, it was about us and a lot of other people, not just us, but um, it was about people putting something together that was a beautiful product also, which was fantastic. Yeah, and, you know, it was, mate, it was really emotional to watch uh, yeah. for me. And I was watching it and for me it was a film about, you know, equality, dignity, but also people standing up for themselves. And I took so much from that. I, I just love that narrative, seeing people collectivise, unionise. Like, you know, I, I come from a, a pretty trade union culture. A lot of people work on the wharves. A lot of people immersed in, in unions. I, I love the, the strike action that, that at J-Bay, I think it was, that really, uh, you know, kind of paved the way and, and, and made some noise and just that solidarity I love those messages. I think that's our way out of the current situation that we're in. I think it was also really great was there was always a st story there, but it could never be told because it was suppressed. You know, it was always like just, oh, that can't be a story. Why the fuck would you want to do something like that? You know, yeah, why? I did that stuff up. You know, and that's what I think was the beauty about that whole thing was, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, you can't make that interesting. And, and we have heard that all our lives about our sport in our generation that's just the noise that we heard all the time that you know you guys you know you get what i'm saying anyway and so that's what was so beautiful about that it did create something that everybody wanted to look and learn about and that's what was such a beautiful thing for me to see oh how good they do want you know they were interested in that story and that's something that we always believed in and that's what we were doing in our career was striving to show people that women had a place in surfing and that we are valued and that sure we're not as good as the guys or whatever but one day this is going to be a powerful beautiful thing and it's going to help you know everybody it helps boyfriends because the chicks all surf now so it's great you know mm. it helps everybody doesn't it it so, does yeah I just wanted to, to make note of too, you know, obviously it didn't come easily, the, the, the pro surfing dream for, for you guys. But, you know, not only that, like, I mean, man, you, you were a victim of like heavy violence from one of the heaviest guys on the North Shore. Um, and, 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 and again, uh, not that long ago on the North Coast, um, and, uh, you know, basically a couple grubs in my opinion. Um, but... You know, talk to us about that. Like, what do you think was going on in the culture at that point that they thought they could do that to women? That, that's mind-blowing, let alone a, a woman of, of your stature and, uh, you know, just character. Uh, it makes me fucking sick, to be honest. Well, yeah, sure. And thanks for your sympathy and your em empathy, I should say, that you're making me feel. That's, that's really nice. And, um, you know, it's look, it's still happening today. You know, it's not it hasn't ended you know, it's not, you know, it hasn't been cured, has it? But, you know, and, but it's about, you know, standing up to bullies. And I think that's what I've always done in my life. I, I hate a bully and I hate people that bully other people. And I suppose myself, I've been in those situations because I've always felt strong enough to stand up for myself. I've been brought up by two, two big burly brothers and my dad and they dragged me around and I was just carted everywhere and thumped. And I mean, you know, and I'm not... You know, in a lovely, you know, lovely way. I was, you know, you can imagine what that's like being the younger sort of um, younger sister. And so I've always sort of learnt to stand up for myself. And I've always been in, like those two situations that I was in. I was always just standing up for the right. It was never to be um, an asshole or I wasn't put in those situations because I mean I wasn't in that situation because I was that. And I was in that situation because I felt I could stand up for myself or stand up for the person that was being victimised. And so I was kind of put in, that's how I got into those situations. And, um, you know, and I always thought that I was strong enough to deal with that. But, you know, it, you do deal with, I, I, I have been strong enough to deal with that, but it does have a residue, you know, something, you don't, something always sticks, you know. And so going back to what we've all talked about, Tommy, great 
your speech, not a speech, but, you know, your chat tonight was awesome, all the boys. But, you know, it's, it's about dealing with things and learning with it and how you let it sit in your system, you know, and, and, and how do you get rid of all the, that negative byproduct that you've got from that, that, that situation. And that's what I've been working kind of hard at because you kind of think, oh, I'm okay, it's all good, you know, that just border off a duck's back, you know, but you'd realise it's not later on in time because, you, you know, there sometimes is like, I, I mentioned with Nick earlier last night, you know, sometimes it develops like a deep sadness inside you, the situations that have happened and you've got to kind of learn to, because you kind of keep saying to yourself, I'm tough, I'm okay, I can handle all this sort of stuff, but sometimes we're not. You know, a lot of the times we actually not. Even the biggest brutes in the world, you know, realise that they crawl inside themselves sometimes and realise they're a little tiny puppy dog. You know what I mean? They need a little pat, you know? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I think myself, I've been working through those things that have happened to me. It's actually created a lot of self-development in myself, which has been a positive thing. And... But to, you know, to, to wrap it up and not bang on about this, these bloody things that happened to me, it's, you know, it's, I, I just, at, at a young age, I was born with this thing, even at four and five, that I, I, I would watch a movie and I would see the, un, oh, what's the word, um, the unequalness between male and female, like even in the way we're presented in movies and stuff. And at a young age, I mean, you know, I just could see it like blaringly obvious and I just didn't understand it. I just couldn't understand why the media and the... Or remember the old movies you'd watch on a Saturday, you know, and be all the good-looking blokes and all the women were stupid. And I remember, not they all weren't stupid, but they, they had these roles of like, you know... Like I used to watch these old um, war movies. I used to love war movies as a kid. And... Um, you know, the, um, I think I've said this before, but, you know, the blokes would be fighting the Germans and protecting the people and then Sophia Loren would run out and, you know, run out and she'd trip over a stiletto and fall over and they'd all get shot because this stupid woman couldn't run. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And I'd be watching it going, are you kidding me? Like, I fucking fucking run past it, you pricks. Like... Sorry to swear, but do you Man, know I what I mean? I can see you just calm that M16, oh. just go, <laughs> boom, 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 boom. Yeah, like, like Arnie, you know, but I, I, but I had that in my mind at such a young age and I don't know where that came from. And that just went through my whole life where I just can't handle the victim, you know, like I just, just can't handle it and that stereotype mm, and I always mm. wanted to bust that stupid door down and that's sometimes I over overreacted or over try to prove myself on things and put too much pressure on myself to prove that or mm. and it kind of made me maybe a little bit hard mm. you know like it can come across as hard but i'm actually really soft and squishy too mm. you know mm. but I, anyway just so you understand that's yeah, that's, I, I, that's one of the the traits i admire about you most you, you're a doer you know you're just like i could if men can do that i can do that my own mother was very much like this single mother you know she she taught me how to play football she was the dad as well and and did all these things you know worked uh you know would throw down like fight and stuff and fucking was a gnarly chick but like at the same time like you know not all those those qualities were necessarily positive but she she, she very much had that same mentality of, of just like oh fuck what he's a guy so he can do that i can do that i can do that and i i, I think um you know Watching her, the the way I was raised and my understanding of, of the person she thought she was, uh, I guess the the idea is, you know, if you want to be treated equal, it's probably best to start treating yourself as an equal first. Gong! Gong! <laughs> Pauline, I just want to ask you too, because, uh, you know, for a long... For, for your entire career, uh, even when you won the world title, you know, getting a busted trophy, getting no prize money... At the height of your success uh, in your career, you know, you weren't getting a whole lot. Uh, you went back into your normal life after you retired. There wasn't a lot of acknowledgement. But since Girls Can't Surf, you know, we spoke the other day. You said it was like I'd won the world title all over again. There, there was an acknowledgement. And were you surprised by just how much people were ready to just celebrate your story? Yeah, um... I think the first thing that really surprised me was 
first of all, when they did the movie, I couldn't believe how well they put it together mm. and the way they told our story. Like, obviously, we'd painted a picture in their head of what had actually happened. And they're trying to get footage of all this supposed stuff that happened back then. And um, it's unless you were actually there, it's hard to notice. But, you know, even the scenario in, in Jeffrey's Bay that they showed that we, you know, made a stand and said we're not paddling out because there's no waves. And so we were all sitting there. But they'd actually taken all those, like if you look closely, the girls are all in different contest shirts. Mm. It's different events. But... um still the way they were able to just get those little bits of film and a lot of it came from us as well um, and piece it together. And, you know, I went to the first showing in Sydney and just when I stood out front of the theatre and I had people after people coming forward and the first person that came forward was a lady who was standing next to her 85-year-old mum and she said, ''Oh, my God, my mum wants me to take a surfing.'' Like, her mum's never been interested in surfing and she wants to go surfing. <laughs> and then um, then when it came to Byron Bay, I was blown away at just how many dads and daughters were coming in. And I was like, wow, this is so cool. Like, mm. I just never thought guys would be into women surfing, especially fathers with their daughters. And I'm, like, just so proud to see it change and um, just so stoked at the way they, they said it. And then... One of the ladies that was watching it, um, Sophie worked at works at Rip Curl and she was so angry that I didn't get any kind of prize money and a broken trophy. So she decided to do a GoFundMe. And I think for the first 24 hours, it didn't really do a lot. And then all of a sudden, it just went absolutely crazy. And within 24 hours, it was up to 25,000. And then I said to her, like, that's enough. Like, I've, I'm happy with that. That's what I should have won. And then she said, well, how about we keep it going? But, you know, we could do something. I said, well, let's give it to some charities. So I end up saying there's three different charities that I'd like to give it to. And we made that clear on on the um, GoFundMe and it just kept going and kept going. And it went up to like $60,000. Yeah. <laughs> and so <clears throat> then it made me realise that platform that, was probably always out there but I didn't get to see or none of us got to see and we didn't know how much people appreciated us we could actually see it and so then I started I had an um, Instagram page but it was for my dog <laughs> it, I've got one she always had one of those one. tongues that stick out right right to the side and um anyway so I joined Insta more for myself and then just started connecting with the general public and then started getting all these really beautiful messages. And some of those messages were just like really, really touching. And I realized just how important it is to tell our story because, you know, there was one person in particular that was suicidal, another person who was um, had a gay, a gay child. And so these both these people, the person said they weren't suicidal anymore because they had the same illness as me and they realized I became a world champion you know, that they can deal with their everyday life. And then this other kid who was gay said that um, he went to the school and said, what are you doing for the gay kids? And so he didn't even surf, but he saw the movie once. Then he's, he wanted to see it again. And then after that, he got confidence to go talk to the school. And so then it made me realise just how important it is to keep telling our stories and how telling your story and showing that we all go through hard times, how much it can change people's lives. So, yeah. Mate. It is the greatest joy to be able to share your story here tonight with this crowd. And um, it's just been amazing to see you finally getting, you know, the recognition, acknowledgement and just pure respect that you deserve because you are both fucking legends. All right, should we bring the rest of our panel Let's up? Let's do it. Uh, also, Pagey, eh? A pipe master. Yeah, Pagey. All-time core lord. The uh, Dungutty Country's finest. Blamby Housing Commission's finest. Par excellence. He's a big lover. He's a big presence. Uh, I don't know. Get your Dungutty surf T-shirts out the front. And just a bit of housekeeping while the love fest goes on here. 
Jarrett Hutton's going to be serving up some, uh, is it? Some wild caught uh, venison, I believe. Yep. Hey, Just over you, here afterwards. What? Also, anyone who wants to do wave key tomorrow morning with Gurr, 6 a.m. in the tent. Be oh, here. I've gone a bit red now. There's one other thing I forgot to say. Where's Zaza? <laughs> she went a bit red, Tom. <laughs> oh, Asher Pacey has a bunch of free crystals up there. Take oh, a little bit of this Go copper crystal off home. the crystal voyage. The you got it. They're right up there near the back tree. On your Ash. Thanks for coming. He's terrified of public speaking. That's why he's in the grass about 100 metres beyond <laughs> the edge of the lights. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's get Richie Vass up here, a veteran of 10 fights in the UFC, seeing the insides of more Mondo cones than almost any living humanoid. The Vass. And Lockie Rambout's one of the most technical big wave psychopaths on the planet. This guy is at the top of the pops in the only game that matters, in my opinion, packing the Mondo Cone. And he's, uh, I mean, it, this guy's uh, fairly underground, but, mate, in my opinion, right up there with the best surfers on the planet. In uh, at, you know, He's dedicated basically his whole life to what I think is basically the biggest test in surfing. Um, a wave down there on the south coast. We won't name it, but uh, it's pretty well on the map. Welcome. Hey, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, team. Perch was just looking at you right then going, Oi, oi, Smithy. Don't fucking say it, mate. <laughs> Uh, where to start? I guess I'll maybe start with, with Pagey, man. Um, I mean, similar to Tom, similar to Dingo, you know, you were a rock star getting around Japanese airports in day-glow tracksuits, just <laughs> dropping sheets of acid out of your wallet at the customs desk. Sheets of acid. <laughs> Tom, did I? You know, dating, uh, dating the daughter of the French president. You end up in a uh, fucking hossie of a bar and a family and cooking waves out the front, but you lost it all in a blizzard of cocaine. Fuck, no wonder I'm cooked. <laughs> We're dead. I'd like to say uh, it's nice to be here with everybody. Thank you, sir. Thank you, brother. Thank you, sir. Um, ooh, I'm out of the flowers now. Here we go, eh? See? Well, it was a, an adventure being on tour, but the first thing I'd like to say, I'd like to pay my respects to the traditional owners here, and the Dungati mob are real, like, we all say it, but let's just take a breather and go, as a little kid in Kempsey, Indigenous people would get their alcohol out of a square box on the Maclay pub on the southern side, and whites would get them on the other side, and if anyone crossed that door, they'd die. So you've got to think about the culture, not just bury this. So it was a really harsh place. And in 67, when the referendum for Indigenous people to become citizens without asking, did you want to be citizens, 67, um, the biggest resistance was Kempsey. 75% of the people of Kempsey said, no, leave them fauna and flora. So I landed here 20 years ago after... That cocaine land on the beach in front of my bar in France, Tom. <laughs> I lost my wife, my four-year-old, my six-year-old, my fucking bar, my fucking house and found hearts like all you people here. So we all went through that to land here today. So when I land in the car park, Nana Button was looking at me, Aboriginal elder, lives next door to you, right? And then I looked over and she said to my brother Eddie Moore, an Aboriginal I grew up with, who's that fella there? And I was like, I'm, I'm broken. I've just lost everything. I'm just like trying to mend here. I don't even know what I'm doing. And I looked at Nana Button. I said, look, I don't know what I'm doing here. I'm just here. She says, I know what you're doing here. This is the place. This is the transformation place. Our people are still strong in Kempsey and it can't go anywhere unless you've got the originals. That's why this man got brought. It's why you're all here. It's fucking real, man. This is the highest vibration part of the country. Garen fucking teed. If you find something better, it's probably up at Pauline's and Jody's house. <laughs> but, um, it's horrible up there. Don't come there, mate. I think we're all here gathering just to try to collectively melt the bullshit off and just get back to what we are. And, you know, 
If you're a donkey, be a donkey. If you're a horse, be a horse. Don't try to be a zebra. You won't find your donkey or your horse. That's the moral. <laughs> We love Tom Carroll. <laughs> Vass made, uh, I understand, you know, it's been a, a pretty rough few years uh, for the eastern suburbs. There's, uh, there was a suicide cluster in Bondi uh, recently, a couple guys, and I know Maribra's had, had uh, a few losses too. Um, and, I mean, I guess even yourself, you know, you ended up wayward as a youngster, you know, a, a product of your environment, though, as we all were, as I was from the same part of the world, part of a very similar culture. Um, I mean, I guess looking back on it, man, getting caught up in all, all that, like wh why do you think, why do you think you ended up caught up in that shit and, and how toxic is it? Yeah, um, and like you've explained too through your readings of the book and um, like society as a whole too, but definitely in my era of growing up in, in uh, down at Maroubra, um, yeah, it was like, it was just testosterone charged and it was um, coupled with you know, my own little, you know, insecurities, the small man syndrome and whatnot. I just, uh, I was a sucker for it, you know, just, um, just always wanted to impress, yeah, and seek, seek that validation and that, um, yeah, just impress really, whether it be the class clan or getting to a knuckle or trying to get the biggest wave of the day. Um, that's what I was, I was out to do and yeah, in, in one way that it, I, um, I thank that. Like, I'm grateful for for having that. Like, you know, I, I joke about that, you know, the small man syndrome. But if it wasn't for that, like, putting my hand up and, and um, saying I'll do something, like, you know, getting to jiu-jitsu and getting to mixed martial arts, because I, I did say that, I felt like I had to go through with it. And, and I'm so glad I did because martial arts um, and surfing and all those things have been uh, absolute blessings, you know. But also the other side of that is it got me in a whole heap of trouble as well, not being able to sort of distinguish, you know, right from wrong and, um, and the reasons as to why I was actually doing things, you know. So, uh, yeah, it is, um, it's a bit of a, a melting pot down there in the eastern suburbs and uh, many factors to it. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm, the, I'm no uh, expert to give you some kind of breaking down as to why it's toxic. But it's toxic. And, uh, and like I said, like what we've spoken about as a uh, society as a whole, it's all definitely Western society. It's all suffering from the same sort of toxicity. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And I, I think it's a, a kind of a ramped up version in, in certain communities, particularly like working and welfare class communities. Um, you know, it, it really is all about a turned up form of masculinity. At least it was in the generation that I grew up in. Like you said, mate, it was, it was all about, you know, fucking trying to run through brick walls on the football field, pack the biggest clothes out, you know, punching on in streets and bars. Um, and there was just absolutely no fucking, not one bit of uh, culture around taking care of yourself, your mental health. Even your, like your physical health was like, I guess... People were fit, actually. Like that, people and others. Were fit. So, yeah, so taking care of so like others as a, as a whole, you know what I mean? Taking care of your community was very much... It was um, pretty community-minded, yeah. Yeah, yeah but, but I was saying like, like in this kind of setting now, you know, you were going out and carrying like a goose and, and you, well, in my own experience, I wasn't really caring about the consequences or the ripple effects of what it may have on other people and mm. the effect on them. I was very like... Um, just giving a fuck about myself, really, you know what I mean? And, and in doing that, not giving a fuck about a lot. Like, you know, like not caring what I did or who it hurt mm. or anything like that, you know, as long as I got a cheer from the boys or, you know, whatever it may be. Um, yeah, that, that validated it all, you know, and it didn't make a lot of sense looking back now, but... Totally. And this sense of separateness, I mean, I think this is, this is one of the, the kind of negative consequences that come from the Bra Boys documentary, I think, that, like, there was... It, it set up this this kind of paradigm where... Uh, I'm from this beach, you're from this beach, you're from this beach, or you're from this gang, you're from this gang. And that was fucking everywhere when I was growing up. Like, um, you know, I was like, I guess, 18 or 19 when the film came out and um, it really did kind of um, set up this culture. It was like a, it was already there, that culture, don't get me wrong. But yeah, this idea of uh, this provincialism, I think they call it, where, you know, um, yeah. and, and like these kind of rivalries that maybe they, they start out semi-good natured, but fuck it, it ended very badly in, in a lot of cases that i saw um yeah yeah I, I think that's just like i mean the nature of our coastline in many ways you know you got these little a little patch of sand called bondi then over the hill you got a patch of sand called Bronny, and then over the hill again you got a patch of sand called maruba and, and all the people the surface from each beach love their little patch of sand you know and get tribal like that tribalism about it um but then it can take it like you know a bit of a sinister nature and you know um 
a, a downside to it, but there's also a very positive side about being proud of your patch of land and your community and the, you know looking after that. Um, back to the the Brow Boy doco, the success that had, and just speaking from my experience and what it, what it, what I saw the effect of that have on my community and especially the generations below me, uh, what it, the people it drew to Maroubra for the wrong reasons. You know, they, they, it, um, I mean, you could take a lot of messages out of that documentary, but a lot of it could be taken the wrong way as well. It's all about, you know, yeah, you know, ride or collide. Now these 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 kind of like little quotes that came from it, um, you know, hated and proud, all that kind of stuff, and to be just recognised as being a mug or going hard, and you know, whether it be on the drink, knuckling, surfing, whatever it is, um, it, it brought a lot of that, you know, and, and it magnified that. But it was already there, but it magnified a lot. So a lot of the the younger crew who were younger than me, yeah. Um, you know, did big wax in jail, had big uh, drug addictions just to going too hard all the time and they, they really um, unfortunately sort of uh, suffer the consequence of those misconstrued messages from the documentary and um, yeah, but uh, like I said, I think there's, there's two sides to every, every coin and that tribalism, it can be, um, it, it be, it be great and people be proud of their little patch and look after it and it can be also pretty toxic as well. Mate, that's such a good point. I'm glad you made that because you know you are proud of your patch now. You, I see you doing community work, picking up rubbish on the beach, and, and you know just you know trying to, I guess, lead the youth uh, in, in to making healthy choices. And and that that to me is pride and, and strength. And um, you know that that to me is being a good community man, like celebrating. Fucking being a hard cunt and being the bender guy and fucking snorting this and eating that and drinking that like I just fucking I got no respect for that anymore. Um, but that was the culture growing up. Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, I, I'm I'm starting to see the the well, my community um in the state it's in now. You know, our board rides are thriving. We got through in the beach. Um, that whole mentality of you know go hard or go home and hated and proud is is really fizzled out now and. Um, yeah, like gentrification's played a big part. It's you know everything's changing, but um, in uh, by the most part, it's, it's a really good place, and um, it's pretty. Like, I'm very more than happy to take my daughter down the beach and have her part of that community these days, and um, start to see you girls get up here and yeah, hear your story, and hopefully, uh, yeah, my little one can can find a passion for surfing and the ocean like we all have here, and um, yeah, it, it's changed a lot, and um, if I can sort of just talk to anyone old young or whatever and give my experience and uh, talk from my mistakes and how i wish i had things differently and if they can, if they can take something away from it um fantastic and, and martial arts brazilian jiu-jitsu um it came into my life you know looking back at yeah it's such an amazing time and it, it changed the trajectory that i was on and um and, I, and i'm really grateful for that so if i can sort of introduce and get kids and youth groups and PCYC groups involved in any kind of martial art whether it be jiu-jitsu kickboxing boxing you know it's uh, it's amazing yeah, man, and I think like, you know, uh, relating that to what this weekend is about, it's like, you know, I guess elders is where you look to for wisdom and, and we come from a time where the elders were the maniacs, you know, like Bilesy and Matt Smith from up the coast were, were the two guys I looked up to. They never meet two bigger maniacs in your entire life. But, you know... <laughs> This is yeah, Ballsy. Go Ballsy. God bless him. He's uh, but but these are like you know these are the things that we want and w- that we hope that people take back to their community from this weekend. It's not necessarily about uh, just doing something for yourself. It's also about being able to take these messages back to your home beaches, simple little things, and just be a good example of like what a healthy choice looks like. And if you see someone struggling, being able to connect with them and all that sort of stuff, you know, like giving back. And I think that the wisdom of the elders is starting to click in, especially based on what you just said, Rich. You know, Maroubra was, as a lot of beaches were, not just Maroubra, you know, like New Brighton was like that back in the day. And uh, mm. there were Queensland beaches that were like that. Narrabeen. And yeah, Narrabeen, of course, like that was a, a heavy joint when it, when it came to sort of like, you know, being the best and, and ripping was sort of like, that was where you were as a person. If you ripped, like that's where you sat in the, the pecking order. It wasn't whether you're a good person or, you know, you could offer something to community. So, yeah, I just love that, uh, you know, what you said, mate, like being able to sort of be a leader, to get in there, to set a good example is is the way forward. Yeah, um, thank you. I, I appreciate it. Just, and I think I think it was mentioned earlier, like you sort of know what feels good and feels right too. You, like, um, we spoke with a psychologist, you sort of, 
you and you read things in the book, it all makes so much sense. Like that's that's like the obvious now. But it's uh yeah, it took me a while to sort of really sort of tap in like what is what I'm doing, is it right, is it wrong, like what kind of impact is happening and mm. yeah, it's kinda of like when you realise it, it's like it, of course it makes sense. Like and I've like grateful I had good parents who you know, who did their best to bring me out and like, yeah, put some, some values in place that I just sort of tap back in and realising that's yeah, the obvious, you know. Yeah, <laughs> like Carrying like a goose is not the, the way to go for the, yeah. your entirety of life. You know? Yeah, totally. <laughs> a good 10, 15 years since, all right. Wow, yeah, man. I mean, it, my theory is if you choose darkness when you could have chosen light, like the universe will bring the, the full weight of itself down to bear on you. It'll yeah. fucking, it'll crush the life out of you. And it, it'll be either your hand or someone else's hand that takes you out, but something's going to take you out. Yeah, no, I think we all know the difference between that, the dark and the light. You exactly. Know? Like, and I, I, don't, I don't know how to like, articulate that, but that's what I was, I was referring to. Like we, yeah, we know really what we, you know. We know now, but yeah, yeah. I, I, mate, I didn't know that when I was younger and that was the culture at play, you yeah. know, it was a sleight of hand and it, it, you know, fuck it nearly ended me. Yeah, I... Yeah. And it's ended a film of mates and uh, that's why we're here today. So, um, yeah. Thank you so much, brother. I really appreciate your presence here. Thanks for having us. And uh, I reckon we'll, we'll end this with the big lock, mate. The big lock, as I said, uh, you know, one of my favourite surfers on big planet lock. Earth. Love what he's doing. Love how he's living. Uh, I love the commitment the big and lock. dedication. Mate. Um, he's a spunk. Check him out. <laughs> Clark Kent turns into Superman. <laughs> whip, whip out the speedos and go get one on the bod. I <laughs> see <laughs> he rips off that poncho and he's yeah. Mate, uh, what people don't know though is that you battled depression hard, but um, uh, I don't know what age that was, but yeah, you know, we almost lost you actually. Um, can you talk to us a bit about that period of your life and, and what you think, looking back on it, put you there? Yep. Yep. Um, I suppose, how's it going everyone? And then uh, I, I, I was and occasionally slip in and out of depression. <laughs> but but, but, um, but that, I think that's a human uh, characteristic, you know, and, and I really like what Robbie said. And so um, like in, in the sense of like we're, we're on Aboriginal land and, and so I pay much respects to all the Aboriginal people and, um, and this land, you know, and, uh, and I think, I think oh, you know, talking about depression and suicide and these heavier topics it's like i think i think one of the like respect is what's so like in integ integrally linked with with depression like with the like lack of respect is gonna is lack of value and and so it's like a, a like a, a culturally you know we're like the we're the, either the aboriginal flags not flown or the or the white flags above it you know rape and murder constantly sitting above our aboriginal brothers and sisters constantly not acknowledged by our whole society so it's like no wonder people are topping themselves and no wonder but we're we we need to like you know get together no wonder we got to strategize not to be depressed because disrespect is is a core part of our society you know so it's like Time for a change for sure, you know, time for a big change and time for respect. <laughs> yeah, so, um, well said. Yeah, yeah, we're, um, we're, we're on a good path, you know, and the brothers and sisters are uniting and we're talking about things that matter and we're, and we're, and we're, we're bringing the value and the respect back to life and, uh, and we're learning to share and we're learning to cooperate and we're learning to, um, you know, place value equally and, and where, it's, where it's due. And, um, and then apart from that, we're learning the tools, you know, like when I was younger and, um, and like, like anybody that knows and especially our elders um like we need certain tools whether they're with our body movement with our mind stillness you know and uh what we're putting into our body is so important and what we're putting into our mind and our environments you know such such uh interactive and connected beings whether we want it or not just by being alive and so at that time in my life i had these big dreams and aware of um you know like my my like I went to Chile when I was 18 and then and I was surfing and I was like in the biggest waves at the time was like 10 foot waves and I, I'd been I'd been out surf like in pretty big ocean you know DY point when I was a grommet and and with my my I had my 
my dad and my brothers and they're older and so I'd always get kind of dragged out but willingly but but also nervously as well and and uh and you're there and you're shitting yourself and often you're just sidelined you know but just to be out there is it's conditioning it's all conditioning and then and anyway and so when I was in Chile I was 18 I went on a mission trip after school with Misfit Aid and uh it was like a two-week trip we rocked up and the first day it was like six foot in the morning and it was we were in four threes and booties and that was a real new experience and i was like surfing like a gumboot for the first couple of hours it kind of started to find my flow a little bit the end of the session like in the last hour hour and a half started clicking and been able to actually surf because i was really battling at the start and then we went to bed and had a nap and then come back in the Arvo and it was like 10 foot and clean and, and not many crew out and kind of the whole team we were with. We had this one legend, he's from Wollongong, his name's Brett Davis and um, he, he runs the Christian surfers up there but he's a bit of a core lord and uh, he's like 50 years. So there's only Brett going out and then me and my bro looking, we're like, we're going out there. And then the, one of the local bros, he's like, yeah, all right, I'll take you out. And he's like, all right, so we go on this rock off. It's like Punta de Lobos, like real interesting rock off, rock off paddle across the channel rock on and then like walk across an island rock off and this guy's telling us it's the most psycho rock off in the history of rock offs this joint it's fucked up doesn't make much sense the rock off and no, you've, on. to, you've told me this story in the past it's it, it, it's like you're basically like a, a, a sherpa trying to rock off this joint he's rocking off but tom carroll's rocking on <laughs> You can't rock off. Don't fucking come, mate. Anyway, come on. Yeah, there we are, trying to get our rocks off. And uh, and the brother, the Chilean brother that was, was he told us what the plan was and then he makes a plan. We're like, yeah, all right, we got the plan, you know? And then so he goes, he just gets swept right through, swept down. <laughs> Wait a second, that wasn't the plan, you know? <laughs> we found our way in the water. We had a real fun surf, you know? And then I extended that plane ticket. We were there for two weeks. I was like, I, I just wanted to, I just wanted to travel and surf. I, I grew up inland, and then so when I finished school, I was like, I'm moving to the beach. I'm going to travel and surf. Like, movement. Like, I wasn't worried about. Uh, I had dreams. Like at that stage, I, I didn't really even like. When I was younger, all I wanted to do was be sponsored by Volcom. I like, love Bruce Irons, Andy Irons, and and Dingo. You know, it's epic to see him up here. And 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 uh, I just like that was. I just loved watching surfing movies in Hornsby. But while I was folding my pamphlets, you know, before my pamphlet runs. And then, uh, <laughs> and then uh, seven years, you know, and so there's plenty of time studying these surf movies on repeat, you know, all my favorite surf movies. But um, anyway, and then at the end of the Chile trip, we got to extend my ticket and it was like, and I was like, I had two goals that trip. I stayed there for two and a half months. I was like, I want to get barrel behind the rocks because there's a couple the local, there's three big wave local surfers that were getting barrel behind that rock. And I was like, I was, and then I was like, I was like, oh, and then I was like, I, like I set these goals, they're dreams, you know, they're dreaming. But I was like, I still was like, I was like, oh, imagine getting barrel behind the rock, imagine surfing twenty foot waves, you know, because I heard these stories. And then like the last day before I left, um, I was, I was, I thought that I was going home in the morning, but it turned out my flight was eleven at night. And then I, I was talking to Ramon the day before, and he's like, you know, you should, you should stay tomorrow. It's going to be monster, and then, and it's going to be big. You, you like big waves? It's going to be big because I've been surfing with these guys. For for a couple months in and out of the water just seeing them and whatnot and I actually got lit up trying to get barrel behind the rocks went for this double up and a little little bit of backwash hit me and I was on a 6.6 six and this nice double up and it was all revved up having a really crazy session made a few nice takeoffs so like if you take off in front of the rocks you're gonna get pushed beside them if you take off behind the rocks you, you'll probably get pushed onto them you know and so it's like a no that's a no, no fall zone <laughs> and uh and then i fell hit this backwash i fell i was like you idiot i was like couldn't believe it and i slapped across like bitch slapped across the rocks and snapped the fin out and we got washed in and i was pretty i was a bit rattled but it was anyway the, the older boys i think even though they're like man you need a bigger board because they're on nine footers and they're like that's dangerous you're being you're dangerous like they're just like your liability if i can sort you know <laughs> anyway i think i gained a little bit of respect from him maybe like because ramon later he was like i was like oh you know i'm going home he's like change your ticket and i was like i don't have a board he's like change your ticket or get your board and then so we sorted out a big nine seven gun that last day was like 20 foot you know and and then so uh, and uh 
there's jet skis and we were kind of last ones that we had organized jet ski ride out last ones to go out surfing with this mad dog girl um janelle anderson she was she's she was 18 she and she she was, grew, grew up in that area she had a couple of older sisters and her dad is a legend but she's a couple of screws to lose like definitely got it like got that she's she's a legend and uh and it, Anyway, she, the, we were on the beach and we were the last ones to get towed out. But then the ski was like, oh, you know, we're going we're gonna to go out, but only one of you can come on the ski. The other one has to rock off. And so I did that dance like 20 foot and I was, man, it was just, I actually feel like that day I got pushed into the water, eh? Because I was so far away from the water's edge between rocking off. And I, I was, I wanted, like, I was c- completely committed to trying to surf, but but I was actually on the rocks just going, fuck, I can't actually see I'm going to get in the water here. Like, with all my willingness, it just doesn't look possible. Like, and I was waiting, and I'm waiting for these sets, and I was, like, looking at the run, and I was, like, before I could even get close to the water's edge, there's another massive wave coming, like, you know, slapped up those rocks. It's not going to be fun, you know? And then uh, I was standing there in this place where I thought I was safe, and this bit of water come from behind over this ledge and, just pushed me in and it literally just felt like a hand just pushed me in the water and then I'm getting pulled through these rocks just perfectly where I didn't even see the pot like no like I was like 20 or 30 meters away from where I thought I would jump off you know and I got pushed into the water from this freak wave kind of thing and then just got pulled out you know so it was like just enough willingness to be in, my, in the situation where I get pulled out of the water <laughs> yeah sorry about that yeah yeah so anyway I got pulled out and then and then and then uh it was it was it was scary got out there and then uh, I, I paddled into what like a big big wave with Ramon that was the first wave of the session which was cool uh the, the crew had been sitting out there it was just real shifty and um yeah so it was, it was good it's it like you know it was there were a lot of gnarly ways that that, that day you know is different like these days I'm on a like it, anyways it was a beautiful start of a journey of um big wave surfing and believing that I could, I could like, you know, surf waves like other people surf waves and stuff like that. And just thinking that, that, that whole mindset of like, okay, now that I'm here, if I can do this without too much training, then I can, I can, I can, I can play with these guys because, because the willingness is there, you know, and, and, and then, and just that, I don't know, just breaking down the stigma of those pedestals and things of like, it's like, fuck yeah, I could do that, you know? Yeah. So that was cool. Yeah. Big fucking uh, big waves. I've given you community, it's given you purpose, and uh, I guess that's been a big recipe for, for keeping yourself mentally healthy. Definitely, yeah, yeah, big anchor, you know, like big anchor to my life, just something to strive for, something make you so high, um, like big ways, but just the ocean too, you know, like the, every, I suppose it's like the, it's the ultimate, it's the ultimate, um, like, you know, for me anyway, it's the ultimate experience, so, so in that sense, keeps me in check you know if i, I if it, you you, you, you got to be uh you know essentially like back to respect you know if you want to play in the ocean and when it's when it's uh when when there's an immense amount of energy you need to be respecting yourself and respecting you know your decisions before you go into that water to be having a good time to be any to be kind of harmonizing with that energy you need to be having a higher vibrational kind of life on land and so that in that way it has been a big anchor for me to just you know be it's a it's a reflection you you're either having fun or you're not when it's fucking crazy you know and like brad was saying you've either been doing your wave key or you haven't you know and so, whatever. <laughs> you've been watching your tantric videos or you haven't been Hey guys, what a panel. I mean, we could just talk forever and ever and ever, but what I might say is can we get a round of applause for Paige, Pauline, Jody, Lockie, Rich? We're going to wrap it, but before we do, uh, don't forget Jared Tartan's going to be serving up some meat over there. Free crystals from Asher Pacey. Wave key, 6 o'clock tomorrow morning this tent. Paige, if I may, can you leave us with a little blessing, mate? Can you just give us a stream of consciousness send off into the doof that's coming? Can I say something, yeah? Yeah, can you? Okay, I don't know if you guys know, but I got locked in a Japanese jail when I was 26. Hey, Tom. And uh, I was flying around the world. I thought I was a movie star. So did Tom. We thought we were invincible. We had good-looking hair, good-looking girls. We were doing it, weren't we? And next minute... And next minute, they got me at the airport with five hits of acid. 25 fucking dollars, they said on the paper. And when they locked me in, they said, do you want this bento box and I said nah nah fuck I'll be out of here in an hour I was pretty hungry for 66 days but 
I actually had a meltdown. You got to think, 26. We weren't bad looking. We had money, acid, acid, probably more fucking acid. What about the tracksuits, Pagey? It was all on. But the moral of the story was, I I got sent to that Japanese jail to be this creature I am today. Tell you the truth. Tom's been through his test to be the creature and it wasn't the surfing results that we went through to deliver anything. It was actually the pain, right, and trauma. So when I was sitting in a little Japanese box with snot coming down from my nose, touching the floor, you haven't heard this one, have you, mate? (laughs) Fucking no one was around. I got one letter from Shane Horan, ASP, said I didn't exist. But when I was sitting in that solitary box, same one as Paul McCartney, mind it? I'll throw that one in, Richie. Um, I was sitting in there, man, the meltdown was real. Acid, cocaine, marijuana, women, it was melting real fucking quick, man. There was no one around, just me in this box. So what I worked out each day is I would wake up and this Japanese would scream at seven, six fifty in the morning and I was actually travelling all night and I would hear fucking, yo, and I'd wake up in this fucking box. I'm like, I'm sweating, dying. I'm fucking dying in the box, right? I wasn't used to that sort of gear. But I thought the spirits picked me because I could handle it, right? That's why Andy Irons died later, because nothing was corrected. I was first chosen. Mine was only a holiday. Andy's was real. Love you, Andy Irons. Bless you, brother. Pure. But the moral of the story was I would wake up, they'd give me a fucking bowl of rice every morning. And I'd look at these Japanese guys and I'm thinking... Fucking, I'm going to take my clothes off and rub it up hard and you're going to pretend that's the normal size here in front of you when you take me for a shower, I'm going to get you, right? So, I'm in, I'm in there. They were trying to do the Japanese on me and I'm doing the Aussie Harry Curry on them, right? But the, the moral of the story was, I would get this bowl of rice and sit there with this bowl of rice and I'd cry. Because I said, fuck, the joke's over, man. How about some cornies or a bit of toast? Like, I've had 60 days of rice. I want some, a cup of tea. But, and I'd look at this rice and cry and I'd melt and go through all my shit. And then I'd put it down I'd open up a book with Ethiopia. And I'd see someone looking for a bowl of rice. When I got back to eating that bowl of rice, I couldn't finish that bowl of rice, man. I was already full. So I think the moral of the story is, mate... They reckon to be a form of life is like, it's so rare, it's like winning the lotto 10,000 times. This ain't no fucking practice. Look around, man, we're on. This is on. And the deal is, every fucking, when my head's good about every two or three months, I renew appreciation. That's the, that's the secret here. We are so rich that we're fucking drunk on our rich life, right? We're the richest, all of us. Let's just keep renewing appreciation. We'll sail the best we can sail before we go with Jim Morrison and blow up because no one's getting out of here fucking alive, right? (laughs) 